1: It's Thanksgiving week, and we're back for another edition of Terry's Talking. It's David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, here with Terry Pluto, award-winning sports writer and columnist for the Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. Terry, how are you Thanksgiving week? I am well, David. And I'm glad to see you're sending out many, many signed copies of your new book, Vintage Browns, just in time for Christmas. That's great to see. Things are coming around there, huh?
0: Yes, I guess there's a – you could go to terrypluto.com and order it there, or um, I think there's a – website called uh, Terry Pluto book, but Terry is easy. The reason I'm pushing it through there is because with COVID where, the, where I used to do all these signings and things, they're just, they're just not out there. Um, I am doing one on uh, Tuesday, December 7th uh, and learn it all on Hudson. But uh, even that, I'm not going to say, I want to make sure that's going to come off. So, right. But the good thing is you get it that way. It's signed. And uh, in fact, I'm going to be stopping at uh, with David Gray, the publisher's place to sign some more this afternoon. So because I think that thousand that we sent out or that I signed, they're just about gone. So
1: wow. All right. Makes a great Christmas present for your favorite Browns fans. So yes. Um, Terry, apologize for my weird voice. I'm going to uh, give this another day, hopefully to kick it. But if not, I'm going after uh, Ving Rhames's job on those Arby's commercials. Yes, we yes. have the meats. I'm going have for the it mates. tomorrow. Yes. So I sound a little off this week. I apologize for that. But hey, let's get into the Browns. Uh, huge stretch coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Sunday night at Baltimore, followed by the bye week on December 5th, and then they're back home against the Ravens on December 12th. It's basically it's practically an elimination tournament to get into the playoffs at this point between the AFC North teams. And you wrote a column this week that I think uh, it went up on Monday and people are still reading the heck out of it about what's really important about the Baker Mayfield drama that's going on and about him not talking to the media after Sunday's game. Um, He kind of left the field very quickly. Um, Where are you at with Baker right now? What did you think of everything that's happened the last few days here?
0: If we wanted to dwell on the maturity issues, fine. Go ahead and do it. I mean, Baker should have talked. He should have been just in a better mood having won the game. Um, he also should have understood, for example, I think that many of the people that were booing him actually were actually booing the Browns for playing him. I really believe that, you know, because even I'm sitting there, and, and as we spoke about last week, I wanted Case Keenum to play. I call it kind of a one game only. Go out there and win the kind of game actually the Browns did, this close defensive type game at home, and rest up your main guy for Baltimore, because you need as, as close to a healthy Baker Mayfield as possible to beat Baltimore. I mean, I understand you could go in there with Case Keenum and try to play it, but I want Baker to play those games, and now Baker's going to play it, but no matter what they say, he is worse for the wear than he was going into the previous game.
1: And so how do you think fans are feeling or should feel about Baker? And I mean, the direct quote was he did end up speaking on Monday, of yeah. course, the day after he came back and people said, uh, the reporter said, what did you think of the fans who were booming? And he said, those are probably the same fans that won't be quiet while we're on offense and trying to operate. So I really don't care. Um, oh boy! What did you First, think of that? And Well, rule right, number one,
0: or... even if the fans are being jerks, and I'm not saying they were, by the way, with this one, but even if they are, don't bring it up. It's a lose. It is kind of like, don't say anything bad about your mother. I mean, whatever it is, just don't. You know, th- these people are in a special class and you just they pay the salaries, they're there, they love you, that kind of thing. Uh, but that's Baker, you know, as I mentioned, the maturity thing there. But a bigger issue is this. How good can he play right now? I, I really wish that people wouldn't just say, well, this year is the true Baker Mayfield. I just don't buy it. I think the real Baker Mayfield we saw in 2018, and we saw it again in 2020. A couple of fans mentioned when well, you threw out 2019, it was such a chaotic year with Freddie Kitchens and everything else that um, I just, I have a, let's put it this way. If 2000, what, what happened in 2019 actually happened in 2020. So you take that poor 19th season and you rolled into this, I would be very concerned about Baker. But I saw in 2020 and even early this year before he started to get beat up, he's a good quarterback. I'm not saying he's great, but he's good. You could win games with this guy. It's shown he could win games with this guy. But, you know, the foot, the knee, the shoulder. um, And I just think the mental uh, being drained psychologically, emotionally, on all those fronts when you know you're not 100%. And you know your team is relying on you. I had some people say to me, David, see what you think, because you, you know quite a bit about football too. Well, uh, a lot of guys out there are playing beat up. That's true, but only one guy handles the ball that much. Only one guy has to make as many mental decisions, and I think only one guy stands far and away from the other twenty-one players on the on the field that you know the the defense and the offense as being the most important, and that's the quarterback. Well, and
1: there's a few things there that I think are not being talked about enough. Well, first of all, I agree with you. I think, I think it was a perfect case kingdom game last week. I think that was, you were basically buying time. Um, But the two things I want to bring up real fast, the Browns have a really, really late bye week this year. I mean, having it be in December 5th, um, it's so late. Uh, Most of the other teams in the, in, in the AFC have had theirs already. And it's a long slog to get to December in the NFL. I mean, you're, you're starting in in late July with training camp going all the way through. And the other thing, I think people need to cut Baker a little bit of a break and people are not really talking about this a lot, but last week, that whole thing that happened in Oklahoma with that death row inmate Mm -hmm. that Baker had gotten to know, he had been advocating for this guy because, um, he, they, they, a lot of people believe he's been wrongfully imprisoned. He was on death row. He was scheduled to be executed and Baker had grown to know him pretty intimately through this process. And a lot of people in Oklahoma and a lot of notable athletes had taken on this man's cause. And at the very last minute, the governor gave him, you know, commuted his sentence and, and the the execution didn't happen. For Baker was tearing up at the press conference yeah. last week talking about this. And then to have that pressure build up to where it was a last minute commutation of the sentence. I mean, I, he, I can't blame him for being worn out at the end of last week with the game prep, that, how beat up he was, the length of the season he's gone without having any break. It's a lot for anybody to take on much less, you know, an NFL quarterback, like you're saying, who has so much on his shoulders.
0: When you're not, I don't care what your job is. When you're not feeling well physically, and then something happens close to you, it could be in a family situation or like this. Cause um, one thing having been through uh, long, a lot of decades of prison ministry and uh, the Haven arrests city mission, I know a lot of guys and sometimes sometimes, I remember one guy that I know was, was headed to death row and it turned out. Um, and I did advocate for him kind of behind the scenes. The only time I really ever did it. And it turned out he was, um, his sentence was commuted. He was taken off death row and, and some, (laughs) the prosecutor was on drugs and was in to deal with a drug. I mean, it was one of those really corrupt cases. So now and then it happens. And I also know you start and it didn't come anywhere close to what, where it's like, the clock was ticking on the guy, but he was looking at about a year before they were going to do it when all filled, the case finally fell apart. So I do understand that with Baker. And I just think it, it's a snowball effect. That thing's rolling downhill and you just feel like you're going to get splattered. And I'm sure he probably took it the wrong way when myself and others are saying, you know, sit him down and play Keenum for a week. Cause probably in his mind, Half of me is better than anybody else. I mean, he has that arrogance about him, but arrogance is always not always smart.
1: And it was up to the coaches to decide: Do we let our starting quarterback play when maybe he shouldn't, or should we, you know, go
0: with with Case Keenum? Yeah. So. Even a the medical people can clear him. B the guy could want to play, but C look at him on the field, and then put that in consider, and then D what's my alternative? if Garrett Gilbert were my alternative, I would not have written play Garrett Gilbert and res Baker against. It's not a knock on him, but Keenum is a real NFL quarterback. Uh, he's won a lot of games in the league. So he's played in Stefanski system. And not only that, you dropped him into a, a quick preparation against Denver and he beat him 17 to 10. He's, he's built for that. Now, is he built to be Baltimore? I don't know. Cause that, that's where he got put up a lot of points. So that's why I'm not, Particularly ag- advocating for Case this week, um, I just hope that they can get Baker Baker's physically together.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks here. So, the um, how do you see these couple of games going? Well, let's start with this one this Sunday because the first one is going to kind of determine what happens in the second one. But it's a very interesting matchup because the Browns are 25th in, in the NFL in passing at 205 yards a game. The Ravens are 31st in pass defense. <laughs> So, the you know, you look at those numbers and you think the Browns want to get some work done through the air. The Ravens are second in run defense. They're only giving up about 88 points, Well, it's 88.6 yards a game on the ground. So the Ravens strength on defense matches up what the Browns want to do on defense. And the Browns might have to, you know, it's hard to see Kevin's Stefanski going too far away from what his philosophy is. But there's going to be some plays to be made down the field through the air. And can the Browns make them? I guess is one of the big questions of this game.
0: I mean, the, 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 blessing is Kareem hunts back because he, I, in my mind, he's always a, uh, a two position player. He's running back. He's also a slot receiver. And he's a guy that uh, Baker can, if you really want to know who his safety valve is, it's cream Hunt um, when he goes to throw the ball and then hunt just, you know, what a bull he is taken off of the ball. So that'll help, but you're correct, David, the, the way to loosen them up would be to hit something downfield. Um, See that I hate falling on the injuries, but you keep going. All right. So Baker throws well off the move, correct? I mean, that's one of the things he does, but he doesn't move well now because his legs are all beat up. So, hence a five foot 11 or six foot one Baker Mayfield dropping five steps back in the pocket to throw. It's not a good thing.
1: Well, and I think you're right about Kareem Hunt. We're going to see – Kareem Hunt can take a three-yard pass and turn it into
0: 30 with And that's what they'll probably try to do and get some of the tight ends going. Um, So I'm I'm curious to see how they play. The other issue when we talk about rankings, and I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago because I wrote a column that there's a lot more wrong than just Odell Beckham. This was even before they played the Bengals game. And I mentioned it again in the Baker story. You're number one. In pre-snap penalties, you're number one in penalty yardage. It hasn't changed. It it was a problem earlier in the year. Then it got worse, and it's just stayed worse. They had five pre-snap penalties again against Detroit.
1: And you can you can live with that when Miles Garrett is saying, Hey, you know what? I'll give up a five-yard penalty once a game if it'll help me get a strip sack. Like you can live with that, but on offense for a you know, an offense that's geared on running the ball, get keeping ahead of the of the sticks, keeping it third and manageable. A five yard penalty is a big deal for for an offense like it that. It is,
0: I'm- and my I'm not just talking. My you know my, I give Miles like he gets this one false start a game, fine, whatever. I don't care, he's good. But how about these guys? And this is happening two to three times a game. I'm not exaggerating. They line up in the neutral zone. This is not jumping off sides. They put their hand down. Past the line where the ball's supposed to be, all you got to do is look down. Clowney's a big offender on this, and see where the ball is, and put your hand about three inches away from that line. That's it. And they keep doing this. The other thing has been illegal formations. So in other words, they're covering up the tight end. Whatever they're doing, I, I sometimes don't even know what it is. It's illegal, but they're supposed to know. Yeah,
1: Kevin Stefanski and his staff have actually started where if there's some kind of penalty like that during practice, they're starting the entire practice segment over again to get the to drive that home to the players. So now we have to see it on the field during a game. But Mm -hmm. I think it's making Kevin Stefanski crazy, just like it is, you know, the the fans. Um, he's right there with you, and but you know, what are the options? You pull a guy off the field which they've done with some of the defensive linemen or you try and make their day longer and say, Hey, this is not how we do stuff. We're going to start over. Um, There's other than that. It's just, you just have to get it right. Right.
0: I'm just baffled by it because it was not a big issue. They were kind of middle of the pack in penalties last year. They weren't great, but it was, it was okay. And. Can you imagine the howling this would be if this was Freddie kitchens? Remember how we went crazy with that? Of course, Freddie had a bunch of problems in other areas too. Coaching the team. By the way, Freddie is back.
1: With the Giants coaching uh, calling plays calling again. Calling
0: play. And on top of that, Colt McCoy won two games filling in at Arizona for Kyler Murray, which, you know, to my point, Case Keenum. i ra- Frank, I'd rather have Case Keenum than Colt McCoy. Baltimore won a game with their backup. I forgot the kid's name. It was a it was a, it was a rookie uh, last week. Mm-hmm. So you can win a game, you're playing 17 of these babies. You know, this is a a guy to play all 17 games in the NFL as a quarterback. Uh, I think he's a rare breed. All right. So
1: kickoff Sunday night in Baltimore, first of two against the Ravens with a bye week sandwich in between. Going to be a fascinating couple of weeks here, Terry. All right, let's talk, let's stay on some football here. So you're writing about Kent State's football program this week. Uh, they've kind of come out of nowhere and they're playing Miami this week for a chance to go to the Mac championship game. Kind of a really interesting story
0: here. It's a phenomenal story. i just to give you the, the real cliff notes version. First of all, the, the has um, done the, uh, revival of Sean Lewis, would you hire this guy? He gets a call. He is the offensive coordinator at Syracuse. He's 31 years old. He gets a call from Joel Nielsen, who was the athletic director at the time at Kent, asking if he wanted to interview for the head coaching job at Kent. He honestly said, do you have the right number? <laughs> he never was mentioned. Syracuse is on its way to a 4-8 and eight season. But what Nielsen saw is uh, I want Dino barbus Ber- I can't, I'm going to... The- Babers, excuse me, Mm -hmm. the coach at uh, Syracuse who had previously been at Bowling Green played that super hyper fast style of play. And Lewis was trained by Babers and that, and Nielsen had actually wanted that style for Kent. Kent loses all the time. Let's try this, kind of that, that kind of, so they bring this guy in, you know, they offer him the job. I remember he's 31 and I recall listening to that press conference when he got it going, Oh, great. He's never been a head coach anywhere. He's 31. He comes from Syracuse where he's four and eight, and he wants to play this athletic hyper style of, of football. Good luck with that. I mean, that just sounds like the more Kent disaster. And the first year, they're two and 10. Now, there's a side thing. Their, their, their star quarterback is this kid named Dustin Crum. Dustin Crum played at Midview. He's from Grafton. He. I don't know why he wasn't more recruited. If you look at his credential. First of all, he's 6'3", 200 pounds, so it's not that he's small. Secondly, he was first team Division II All-State quarterback. He was in the mix two years in a row for Mr. Ohio Football. It's not like he was some hidden gem somewhere. Nobody recruits him. In fact, Lewis admitted to me, he says, I was in charge of recruiting that area. I looked at him, and we offered a different quarterback a scholarship at Bowling Green. So, Lewis then Kent state is the only one that gives him a scholarship. So uh, Paul Haynes, who the quote coach before Lewis, he got to give some of the previous people aren't there credit for some of this. He brings in Crumb and uh, Joel Nielsen, the, the former AD brings in Lewis. Now Lewis shows up Crum runs into Lewis. He remembers how Lewis did talk to him for a while, but didn't give him a shot. And as Lewis says, then I did it again. My first year there, I don't play the kid. And by the way, it was, it was ready. Crum was in the program for two years. He brought in uh, a transfer from Auburn. They go two and 10 with this kid. And as he said, just this is Lewis saying just by anybody else would have transferred Crum stays the next year. Uh, he actually doesn't even open the first game. They played at Arizona state at quarterback, but they switch him up. He comes in at, uh, during the middle of that game at Arizona state. Didn't play particularly well. They, they then give him the job and the team takes off. They, uh, I think they go five and three in the Mac. They go to a bowl game. They beat Utah state in the go daddy bowl. Uh, the quarterback for Utah state is the, uh, the backup at green Bay. Now, um, mm-hmm. well, well if I think, so. yeah, mm-hmm. so they beat and suddenly crumb takes off. So last year it's COVID, they go three and one. they actually average almost 49 points a game. And then this year, you know, here they are—they're five and two. It's, it's hard to look at Kent's records overall because they played the three money game, three money games every year. I mean, this year was Texas A&M at Iowa at Maryland. I mean, the you almost start every year at zero and three. You just look at the the MAC record—the last three years in the MAC with Crum at quarterback—they're thirteen and six. So this is fun. There's a lot of other cool stuff about the story As I, I kept saying this never should have worked. This guy should not have made it as a head coach. Crum should not have stayed. These guys, have, you know, and then it's sometimes it is. a People need a chance. Sometimes that's what this story is about. It really is. Crum needed somebody to finally to believe in him. Lewis needed somebody to say, I don't care that the resume is pretty thin. I'm going to give him a shot with this crazy system. We're at Kent. What do we got to lose? And on top of that, by the way, their academics are good. They're, they're about a 2.9 GPA for their team since he got there. They got 20 graduate students on their roster. So they retained a whole bunch of these kids. You know, right. COVID people got extra years. More, maybe more than but people want to know about Kent State, but I was taken with the story. It's yeah, it's like a. Friday.
1: It's like a convergence of happy accidents, all running yeah. into each other. It does make a fun story. But, so. And it doesn't
0: happen much in Northeast Ohio. We got a <laughs> lot of accidents, most of them not real happy.
1: <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, so good luck to uh, Kent State this week. Well, and I guess good luck to Miami too. There's a lot of Miami fans who probably yeah, listen to the play the at podcast noon. It's
0: a, it's a big game for both schools. It is a big schools.
1: game. Yes. Um, all right, Terry, how about this? Well, let's take a break. and we come back, we'll talk a little Cavaliers, we'll talk a little Guardians, we'll talk a little Faith in You column, and then we got some Hey Terry questions that came in from readers, and then, um, then we'll wrap it up after that. How do you think uh, that works? Good?
0: I am at your service.
1: All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we are back here on Terry's Talking David Campbell with Terry Pluto. Terry, the Cavaliers are nine and nine. They've been through a lot. A tough road trip mm-hmm. to start the season. Some injuries. Colin Sexton, Evan Mobley out. Although he looks like he's starting to come back from his uh, injured elbow. He's starting to uh, add more in practice and do a little bit more. This team has shown a lot of heart. And I guess the question is, can they keep it up here as, as we head into the holiday season?
0: Well, you also missed marketing and Love for quite a while, too. True, I mean yep. I would have signed up for nine and nine so fast when that schedule came out, assuming they had a full roster. I really would have. Because even some of these home games they've had of late, they've not been with a whole lot of fun opponents. You had Brooklyn and Golden State. So it's been been really a tough go. And I think that the fact they're nine and nine now, you know, they were working towards how Sexton should be used, which is coming off the bench. If you notice, remember he would start the game, but he's out of there five minutes into it. Then Rubio's in there with, with Garland and Garland's, you know, I won't merging star. He's merging very good anyway. And then Sexton would come in and supply the instant offense. If he was kind of out of it, you take him out. That, that's, that kind of like Lou Williams or one of those guys, unfortunately, uh, and I wondered the last week or so, he was not playing very well at all. Uh, turns out he has a meniscus and a tough meniscus, meniscus surgery. They, he's out for the year. So that that's the thing that misses scoring. But if you can get Mobley back reasonably soon uh, and just keep playing this tough defensive style, because remember, if you hold a team under 100 points, it's pretty remarkable in the NBA. If you hold them under 110, that's above average. And they In the consistently NBA, do yes, that. It is, yes. Yep. And so I think uh, I think they can if they can keep the effort up.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that because our colleague uh, Chris Fedor, who does an outstanding job covering the team, he wrote an interesting piece this week. You're talking about the effort, and it kind of ties into something here that I wanted to ask you about. So. You know how the NBA works. I mean, you've been around the NBA for decades and you kind of know that there's calls that LeBron James gets or Michael Jordan gets or Magic Johnson gets during the course of a game that some rookie won't get. And the other night against Brooklyn and Chris wrote about this, the Cavs felt there were three, five, I don't know, six calls maybe that the, the star-studded Brooklyn Nets came in and were getting because they're the Brooklyn Nets and they have Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant gets a call that maybe... Darius Garland wouldn't get, and J.B. Bickerstaff decided he'd had enough, and he made a point to say, listen, the the referees are not respecting our team because they're young and it's not fair. So right move by J.B. to stand up and say, hey, listen, we're not getting these calls and it ain't right, or do you think he's kind of giving his team an excuse a little bit to, you know, I I don't know, how do you feel about that? Because the effort has been there the whole time, and I think he felt maybe he was okay doing this because of how hard this team is playing for him. What do you
0: think? A A James Harden gets ridiculous calls. He Bulls oh, and people, everything else. So, he's right about that more than even Durant. Harden gets ridiculous calls. B, I would tell my team now. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to take the heat. I'm going to get fined, but I don't need you getting caught up on the officials. You know, let me do this because I I want to let you guys know that I'm going to. I'll take one for you. And secondly, on this and that strategy of speaking out is that you then are planting that in the officials' minds. Look, don't be all, the officials always like to deny that they give stars calls. We know it's different, but at least say, look, I'm watching that. I'm watching that. And my guys here are playing hard. Now it's one thing if they went out there and they guarded nobody and nobody's on the floor, then we don't deserve the calls. But, I remember talking to a couple of veteran NBA officials. Um, Earl Strom was, was one and Dick Bavetta, and that. And he said, you know, you don't go in wanting to reward teams or whatever based on effort. He said, but you're human. If you see a team's really playing hard, uh, you just tend to go with it. Because there are so many calls that are made, and especially back then before the replay. But even now, that's like, it's a coin flip. Who knows? Guy goes barreling in there. Another guy stands there and, th- and three guys go down like a bowling ball hitting bowling pins. What was that? A charge? A block? I don't know. But JB is right to stand up for those guys. And the other thing would be, A, you guys got to keep your mouth shut. Don't get cut off on it. That's my job. And B, you got to keep playing hard and I'll keep standing up for you
1: and who knows how it'll pay off even if it's just a call or two per game that maybe he can get because of it it'll it'll be worth it right
0: and i you want to keep that unity that he is asking these guys to play a style that goes against the nba fun run and gun style you know everybody just shoots up ridiculous three-pointers with no conscience nobody crashes the board you just kind of wander around uh he's asking the opposite that yeah they take threes but that's not what the offense is about. You know, let's get the ball inside. And secondly, we want to rebound, run and defend. I want you on the floor. And they've been, after their first two games, where they gave up 142 and 130 points and they realize they can't be, you know, the, the Houston Rockets or whoever the flavor of the week is for shooting all these threes and began to play something resembling real basketball. Then it became a team. and you, But you have to stay on them to do that.
1: Yeah, and speaking of that style of play, Uh, Let's talk about Jared Allen for a minute. He's kind Mm -hmm. of, he kind of embodies a lot of what you're talking about there. You know, he, he does a lot of little things. Uh, You know, he's shooting 67% from the field, I think. It's like he never misses. Yeah. (laughs) 33 minutes a game. He's leveraging. So 67% from the field with 14.6 points and 11.2 rebounds a game. And just a really good foundational piece. You think this is kind of one of the more underappreciated guys on the team?
0: Yes. Yeah. How's that? Just simply. Yes. Because also, I would argue, underused. He has good hands. Unlike a lot of big guys in the modern NBA, he at least has sort of a little jump hook, jump hook and a half a clue of what to do down in the low post. And he makes free throws. See, some of these big guys, remember when they had Drummond here? And he could get the ball down low but they would just follow him and he's, he's breaking the ball off the rim. This guy will, I, I don't know what he's shooting right now, but a career is around 70% from the foul line. And so he is really valuable. I think he could become even a better rebounder than 11 a game because of just, um, he has the legs, he's got long arms. And when he and Mobley are in there, I'd realize that sometimes they kind of are taking rebounds from each other, but that is such a, a force for this team, going against the grain of NBA, which is we want everybody between six-two and six-eight, you know, non-positionless basketball. These two seven-footers give the Calves an edge because they're different. They make the team seem different, and teams have aren't used to the, just these big guys doing stuff. So, I'm excited by that. And I'm excited by Garland. I think Garland just keeps getting better. He has to watch that he doesn't get hurt because he's had a, you know career of getting banged up. But he you know he's exciting. Rubio, I'm concerned that he's going to get worn down. He's playing too many minutes. Now they don't have Sexton. They've got to find a guard. Whether it's this Pango's kid that they have sitting on the end of the bench, they signed from the Euro League, or somebody else um, that they could put in. And Chris Feeder wrote a very good po- uh, column about. Uh, Okoro, this is his chance to go be the shooting guard on this team. And he's got to show more offensively. I will say this, coral fits the, he'll get in your face, he'll rebound, he's on the floor. He, he's a tough guy, but he got to make some shots. Well,
1: you know, I, I, it's funny when you're talking about the two seven-footers, you made me think of when the Spurs got the number one pick in the draft, and they already had David uh, Robinson yeah. on the roster, and people were like, well, you can't take Tim Duncan now, so what are you going to do? And the Spurs said, sure, we can take Tim Duncan. Watch,
0: watch how this is going to
1: work. And the Cavs kind of have taken the same approach. Like, well, how is this going to work? And you can say what you want about kind of the vision of the front office and and Kobe Altman these last few years. But I think Cavs fans have to take a little bit of solace. And some of these things, like Jared Allen singling him out when they did and making that move, some of these pieces are starting to come together now. And I think think you're right. I think they're starting to see that.
0: And and I was wrong. I wanted Suggs uh, instead of – Mobley and I did like Mobley some it isn't a knock on that I, I became enamored with sucks and um because my wife Roberta knows really does know a lot about basketball she played on the first women's team by the way at, at Hiram to show you I did know, not know go that. back before yeah and unfortunately um they had a coach at that point was just sort of a lady that they threw out there could barely get five on a four it, you know when she watches what women's basketball is now compared to what she played and there's this longing in her heart too, of which she was there before title nine, you know, the pre-title nine stuff. But so she knows a lot about the game. Cause she used to come to practices with me back when I covered the Cavs and we were allowed to go to practice. So I showed her the one player I showed her tapes of was Mobley and she was going, boy, you know, it's kind of like hot rod and, and that, you know, hot rod Williams, Or he, he's mobile. He's seven foot. Um, you know, just the question was, would it fit in this modern NBA with Allen? And you're right. They said, let's not overthink this. Let's just get this guy. Yeah. Thank goodness he did. So Kobe Altman had one over me on that one.
1: All right. Well, you were talking about the tough schedule so far. It does not get any easier Uh, tonight, Wednesday night. They're playing the Phoenix Suns who have won 13 in a row. Uh, There are four wins from tying the franchise record. So that's tip off that tip off is tonight at seven down at the field house. And then the Cavs are home on Saturday, Uh, Thanksgiving weekend. They're playing Orlando at eight and then they go to Dallas to start a three game trip on Monday night. So that's the Cavs schedule. Um,
0: Terry. Oh, one last point too. And I'm curious to see more marketing. You know, marketing looked pretty good against Brooklyn. He had been on the COVID thing with love. Um, He's a key guy in this. If he could show he could play small forward uh, against most of the teams uh, that gives them the dimension you want, because then you can keep Okoro in the backcourt to be the, the third guard, you know, with Rubio and Garland, and you don't kill Rubio. I'm sure. I'm concerned. Ruby, remember Rubio started playing pro basketball at 16. So this guy's played a million games at high level, even though he's 32 or whatever. It's, it's like, he's got like a LeBron James career in terms of, of length and, and number of minutes and everything else.
1: All right. Yeah. And he's, he's already been pulled into a lot of minutes already, probably more than he was, he or anybody else was expecting. So
0: it's the most, he's played it's like only five November years without yeah. like, that what I saw. Exactly. So,
1: all right, let's talk a little guardians, Terry. Um, guardians became the official name of the team on Friday and gear went on sale. Some people were kind of making a joke because they put the, in, the guardians team Shop signed so yeah. up, and part of the facing on the building was a little uh, that's right. Everybody goes, Ah, oh, uh-huh, you shouldn't jokes. have changed
0: the name. There you go. Um,
1: but from what you've been able to see, it seems like people are taking to the new name, and the gear is kind of moving pretty quickly.
0: yeah it has, they, the Indians didn't know what to expect, or the Guardians, excuse me, didn't know what to expect. We're gonna have to work on that. Um, but the thing that amazed them and me because the initial rollout, as they called it, the fastball G, that little baseball with the G on it or whatever the that wings. is yep yeah you can tell i'm thrilled by it um but that thing outsold the other stuff two to one in terms of what had the logo on or not now maybe kids like it maybe it's different maybe i know nothing you know again so we'll see how it continues to go the best selling item was uh, kind of the the fleece with the, the the cleveland on it you know that with their new script So, but they, they had a good first couple days of sales. We'll see if it continues.
1: All right. And speaking of uh, things that are changing, the Indians had to make some decisions on the 40 man roster toward the end of last week. And what did you think about what they did and kind of, there's always guys you're worried are going to get scooped up that aren't on the 40 man roster. Where do you think the Indians are exposed? I I did it again. The guardians are exposed here and might Mm -hmm. lose somebody.
0: Uh, Oscar Gonzalez. He had 31 homers. And I know that they look at this. He had 112 strikeouts, I think, to like 20 walks, uh, but he's only 23. He's 6'4". He's, he's kind of not quite as big as uh, Reyes, but he's that kind of hulking guy. He's a right-hand hitter. Uh, he was never on anybody's prospect list until this year. He'd been in the system for quite a while, just kind of floundering around. And it, it took off. But sometimes power hitters develop late. I would be shocked if no one takes him in in the i know i would you try to see if it doesn't work it doesn't work but 31 homers is 31 homers and i guess they viewed him as a dh and they have reyes and this kind of stuff but still right you know reyes really does want to play the outfield that would solve a problem they could get 100 games a year in the outfield he used to play 100 games a year for the padres because then you could work in different people as a dh whether you pick up some older guy for a one-year deal, or you just use it as a way to, to rest different players. The other thing surprised me. And I think they changed their mind on this because I heard they were probably going to leave either Zimmer or Mercado off the roster. And I do believe in the end, they decided to keep both. Maybe they think they could trade one of them. That's, that's the reason. Uh, I don't know what happened to Mercado. I mean, it's been, it's been two miserable years for him now. I remember 2019, looked like they had their center fielder and, you know, like 265 with 15 homers as a rookie. And and he came up, I think, in June. Uh, And I don't know what happened to that guy since. You know, Zimmer, they might think, well, he finally sort of got healthy. I mean, he is good defensively. He could run the bases. He is these staggering homers, like 450 feet. But he doesn't really show a ton of power over, you know, I think he had eight homers and like 280 at-bats. So that'll be, um, uh, see which way that goes. But so that, that, the two surprises to me were Gonzalez exposed because even if they didn't like him, um, I, I still would have kept them. You could send him to AAA again. And secondly um, was both of those outfitters kept on the roster. And, well, I think, by the way, I like Mahea in the bullpen. I didn't like him starting, but did, did he get traded the Cubs? I, I forgot because they traded yeah. him Ramirez on the same day. Harold Ramirez. Yes, that sounds right. Yep. Yeah. He might help them in the bullpen. Uh, hey, but they have so many good arms coming and I get that part of it a lot more than say the other moves.
1: All right, Terry, it's Thanksgiving week. And I know every year you um, go on your Facebook page and you ask people to kind of send you things that they're thankful for. And you got some interesting responses this week. It's I'm always kind of amazed at the adversity that people deal with in their lives and how they... They fight through it and yet they're still thankful for what they have. And I think you saw a lot of that in the column that is going to go up on Saturday on the website and then Sunday in the paper. But um, some really interesting responses there.
0: Yeah. I mean, people fighting through strokes and cancer, there was some COVID, but just a general thing of life. um, Several people wrote about how they were thankful that they were able to spend the last one month, one year with a parent or someone close to them who's dying. And the person didn't get healed; he died, you know. She died, and it. it I had over. You can look at my Facebook page now and, and just scroll down. There's a hundred some responses. It's phenomenal what people just said. Go through how they deal with it, um, and I just how their faith carried them through a lot of pain. So that was a reason to celebrate. The other, I have two Thanksgiving comments. I got one running tomorrow, and which is what I want to say. I want to thank readers. I always. We've said this for twenty some years, going back to my days at Akron, the Akron Beacon Journal. Without you, there's no us. Without you, the readers, there's no us working in media. Absolutely. Because if you don't read us online, in the paper, listen to podcasts, whatever it is, who needs us? You may listen to us and say, "Who needs us? Who needs them?" <laughs> rather, but why know this? We need you. And unlike Baker Mayfield, who decided to nitpick on the fans, I ain't nitpicking no readers. I want every <laughs> single one, every single paper, every single internet hit, every single ad. I want it all. I want to keep doing what I've been doing, by the way, now for full-time since 1977. So that's a few years. And actually the first time I think I had anything published um, in Cleveland would have been at the um, old Cleveland Press in 1975 when I was there part time writing some high school things, and then I also was in school. I also sold some stuff that are playing to or Sunday magazine. So, it's been a long run, and I want to keep going. I'm not sure I could play the Kent State. Let's snap the ball and run a play every 17 seconds. That's what they do by the way. <laughs> 17 seconds they run a play. They keep track. Tennessee's number one, slightly ahead of them. I can't do that. Well, but we we I a, we're gonna need a story
1: this. from you every 17 minutes from now on. Yeah, to yeah, you yeah, gotta that's right. get something turned around. If anybody could do it, you could, I'll tell you.
0: <laughs> when you don't know what to do, the rules always that was told us early on. If you don't know what to do, write notes. They're like <laughs> popcorn. People could just kind of keep even the popcorn's not that good, but the next next batch might be right. the next kernels might be a little better.
1: Um, so we want we do love uh all the people who read what we do and and all the content we produce. And that's one reason we love to kind of hear from you. If you would like to um, get your question on Terry's talk every week, you can hit Terry up on his Facebook page. Um, we usually put up a solicitation toward, I don't know, maybe on Tuesday every week. And the other way to do it is if you want to email something to us at sports at cleveland.com. We always love hearing from you, and we'll try and get to as many as we can. So you want to do some Hey Hey, Terry questions here? You ready? Sure. All right. I wanted to get to this one. By the way, did you
0: see whose picture I posted this week?
1: I did. So Brandon Whedon was at the top of the post (laughs) saying, hey, we're looking for questions. And actually, I have a trivia question about Brandon Whedon later. which You know why I did that?
0: Just a little reminder of the quarterback situation (laughs) pre-Baker
1: little perspective, right?
0: Yes. I, I was tempted to put Manzella, but that's such a, you know, easy shot. Then I <laughs> just kind of looking through it. There was Brandon sort of looking perplexed in the camera. <laughs> so there he is.
1: That was a good one. All right. I got to ask you this, Terry, because I, I wanted to put this one first, because I've never heard of this thing. So Steve Toth from Wycliffe, he says, Hey, Terry, I love the turkey trot thing. The Browns did in the eighties where they would have the rookies around Thanksgiving go around town. Is there any chance some new players learn of this and maybe start it up again next year? Thanks. That was a a
0: Deacon thing. Deacon would say you could get a, and a couple of these veterans, you can go get a free Turkey and they would send them like to Van Wert, Ohio or somewhere. And there was no Turkey or no,
1: and they did I'm it not every sure. year Thanksgiving? Is that what yeah, it was? Yeah.
0: Yeah. They came okay. up these pranks to go get this to, and then he needed to deliver it to somebody else and they get there and nobody knew what they were talking about. And oh, so it was kind of like a prank a little prank, bit. It was a yeah, prank for the right time when actually people wanted free stuff. These guys, you know, they would just buy a turkey farm. Uh, they, they're not really worried about the average salary being a million bucks for even a rookie. So that, the, the thing is, um, that's what it was about. I remember Deacon was behind it quite a bit. All
1: right. We're going to have to do something on that. We'll get somebody to research the turkey trot and see what we can find. I thought that was interesting. So um, this one is from Jason Kohler. He says, Hey, Terry, I'm a lifelong Browns fan who took his talents to South Florida. And I wanted to know, do you, (laughs) (laughs) do you feel like the Browns recent struggles, including the OBJ exit has fractured the locker room, or do you think it's brought them closer together as a team?
0: Well, we'll see about closer together. Uh, I don't think by the way, OJ uh, OBJ, leaving is a big uh, fracturing in the locker room. I really don't remember players will always say nice things about players when they leave work. Cause you never know, you may end up playing with them again, or you and I, I bet I've had people that maybe uh, cause remember I I've worked since the civil war. So I've worked with a lot of people, <laughs> you know, in this business. And there were a number of them that I liked personally, but really weren't all that, you know, they could stay or leave as far as I care in terms of working with them you know, I like them on a personal level. And I think that was the thing with Odell. I don't like them the personal level, but I think they got tired of some of the Odell didn't get the ball, all that junk. Um, so I don't think that's a fracture, but the general fracture thing is not winning. Um, whose fault is it? You know, the last year, the Browns just had this fairy tale ride where they never lost two in a row. Expectations were around 500 for them. And things just fell into place. I know it was hard with COVID, but it's hard for everybody with COVID where this year um, they've, you know, they started three and one. And so now they're what uh, the bronze what, what are the bronzer, six and five Six and five. Yep. Yeah. So they started three and one. So now they're three and four and uh, that's been a tough, tough go.
1: All right. And we have a baseball question from Michael Lisi who's from Youngstown, and he says it's been over 25 years now since the Indians' uprising in the 94, 95 World Series. Tell us a baseball story about Albert Bell. It feels like we heard so much about off-the-field stuff with him that we've lost just how electric of a player he was. I'll never forget being there for this game, and then he put a YouTube video in there for one of uh, Albert's highlight mm-hmm. moments. But
0: um, any quick Albert yes. Bell stories? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, unlike some people in the media, I learned this with Albert. I went over to talk to him. One f bomb or whatever. There, I'm out of there. It's been my view for decades on players. If a player doesn't want to talk, or he wants to just rip into, unless he wants to rip into me over something I wrote. But if he just generally grouchy, doesn't want to talk, fine. I'll go talk to someone else. I mean, it's not like I missed a chance to interview, you know, Saint Paul or Martin Luther King here. Uh, there's, there's plenty of other guys in the locker room who like to talk. I remember I came up to Albert the Indians are playing in Kansas city. The all-star game was coming and he was off to probably was in 95. He was off to a roaring start. And I said, Oh man, Albert, you know, you're really doing well at the all-star break. Can we can talk about that a little bit? So we sit down and, and I said, boy, you know, you've knocked in a lot of runs. He goes, well, you know, as the record for RBIs at the all-star break, I mean, no clue. He knew Hank Greenberg. It was like 89 right? or 91. He was gunning for Hank Greenberg's record at the all-star break. A, how many older players, I'm sorry, how many players in the 90s would have heard of an older player such as Hank Greenberg? B, if they did, C, how many would know he had 89 all you know RBIs at the all-star break? Albert was very aware of baseball history, he wanted his place in it. By the way, every year that Albert was on the All Star or uh, the Hall of Fame ballot, I voted for him. You know, even though he certainly wasn't my favorite person, but I found like once a year, Albert would be give me a very um, insightful interview when he felt like it. I mean, there was there was a lot in there. It's just a shame though that he just got in his head early on that people didn't like him, and so um, you could do an interesting. I need to write about this for a faith count. People who feel uh, rejected will reject someone first because it goes, I got to get that in before they reject me. And I think that was part of Albert's uh, deal. Uh, So I'm going to reject you before you even have a chance to reject me. And so that was an odd thing because it's a shame. There there was a lot of good stuff in there with Albert. Had his hip not fallen apart, um, he would have Cause he had nine consecutive years, a hundred RBIs and I forgot how many homers he had 300 and some, uh, he would have had a remarkable career. It's always interesting to me. They, they said the
1: same thing about Mike Tyson when he was, even when he was 20 years old and starting to rise up the boxing, he knew Jack Johnson fights yeah. from back in the early nineties. Like the, the great ones seem like they really want that, uh, place in history, as you talked about with Albert and they have studied their sport. And they know who's who. And LeBron, and LeBron it kind of drives was the same.
0: Them. Yeah. And you're right. LeBron was the same way. I mean, I remember when LeBron met Oscar Robertson, came to me. he was thrilled to meet Oscar Robertson. I bet a bunch of his teammates, this old guy, I guess he played in the NBA. Or, no, LeBron knew that stuff. And I think that drives them, as you said, that's correct. And as a uh, person who spent a long time in the media and just following, it's just nice when that happens that these guys are aware that actually they played the game before I arrived.
1: Yeah. It's, it's fun to see when they get to me too. It is, it's a special moment. So, all right, well, thanks for those questions. Again, you can hit Terry up on his Facebook page, or if you want to email us at sports at cleveland.com. All right, Terry, you put up a picture of Brandon Whedon with your solicitation for questions this week. And as Browns fans know, Brandon Whedon was the 22nd overall pick by the Browns in the 2012 NFL draft. Some people might have forgotten that Brandon Whedon was also drafted in baseball. Yes. Do you remember which team took him in the draft? I didn't mean to stump you, but I want no, to give no. you a challenge. It might one be the week. Yankees. Yes, it is. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. And he couldn't get out of a ball. Yeah, he was in the minors the whole time. So he was drafted in the second round of the 2002. MLB draft.
0: What's that high?
1: And wow. Second round, he was the 71st overall pick out of yeah. high school. He went to Santa Fe High School in Edmond, Oklahoma. But it's always striking to me so he was drafted in baseball in 2002 and then the NFL 10 years later in 2012 and that's why he was 28 years old when the Browns uh drafted him. Um, and people always joked about how he was middle-aged when he started his first NFL
0: game. It well, that, that yeah. was funny there, you know, where usually you say you, you, you don't want a guy who's that old to be a rookie because by the time he figures it out, he will be too old. I mean, is, is it, it's actually an incorrect argument for a quarterback because they do play until their middle, late thirties. Uh, but the problem there was this: Brandon, we played in that, uh, kind of junkie system, you know, where they almost, it was a, kind of a run and shoot, as I recall, and, and the Big so, Twelve defenses have never yeah, been nobody guards anybody. Yeah. Oklahoma State, am I right on where he yep. went? Yep. Yeah, and so it was hard to judge, and you don't know for. Uh, hey, Patrick Mahomes played in those kind of things too, and I looked at all that. He just looked like he's playing backyard ball. Well, put him in the NFL, and he's great. But other guys who did that, they show you nothing. But yes, Brandon Weeden, I knew with the Yankees, and I remember that he never got out of A-ball, and that's all I remember. And the, the Browns tried to say, well, see, he's mature, so he's set to go, but he wasn't that good. <laughs> all right. Um, Terry, what's on the Thanksgiving menu this week
1: for you? Any favorite dishes you guys make? or
0: Probably not a whole lot. Tomorrow night we're doing the uh, – we always do the holiday services at the Akron City Mission Haven Arrest. So we're doing that, myself, my wife, Roberta, and then our, our good friend Gloria Williams – We'll be doing that um so down there and uh they have great turkey and everything else we're just going to take it home and eat it I great because enjoy uh, that so that'll be good
1: good yeah i got a special request from my nephew he wants key lime pie
0: for ah. thanksgiving and i managed mean jimmy to track buffett a couple songs down. to go with it there or, you
1: go yeah well anyway have a great holiday this week uh terry and all to all of you listening out there have a great uh, holiday as well we hope you enjoyed time with family terry thanks as always always fun to chat and um we'll see y'all next week on terry's talking